Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Vanessa, I'm so excited. I have a guest here, right here. I can see him. We have a guest here who I have known since he was probably 20 inches long. He was a newborn. He was just, and actually he was born the day before my daughter. So had he not been born the day before my daughter, I actually would not have known him as a newborn. I would have known him as like a three month old, but I've known Henry since the day he was born. And I'm so, so happy, Henry, to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you guys having me. It's really amazing to meet you, Henry. And since my oldest college kid is away, I'm so happy to have another college kid come hang out with us. Car and I were like, just come talk to us. But there is a point to this conversation. There is a point. And Car's going to tee it up. Okay. So Henry is a freshman in college and he is here as a freshman in college who has had an interesting journey and a journey that I think is probably a little more exaggerated than some people's, but I think he can speak to certain medical challenges and the theme of the week is medical challenges and sort of health challenges. He can speak to them more profoundly than most kids his age because Henry was diagnosed with type one diabetes in the fourth grade, right, Henry? And then in the 10th grade was diagnosed with epilepsy. So has had two chronic illnesses that he has managed. By the way, 
he also is a multi-sport athlete. And the first time I really got to know Henry was when I walked across a bridge that he built in <laughs> Maine. He and his grandfather actually are very like Henry's the most hands-on guy. My When my mother-in-law met him in kindergarten, because Henry and Talia were in kindergarten together, my mother-in-law literally of all the kids in the class was like, who's that kid? He's going to be a CEO. And that <laughs> is so like the, the diabetes and the epilepsy are such side notes to who mm-hmm. Henry is, which I think is the biggest part of this conversation. And really what I want to get into, they, some ways they define you, but in many ways, they actually really have have nothing to do with this incredible, well-rounded, impressive young man that you have become. And so we're so excited. And and I think the place to start is fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that it was when I was teaching the growth education, gross ed? I know you all called it gross ed. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was teaching gross ed and you came to me and you asked if you could talk about diabetes with the class. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to get diagnosed with type one diabetes and what it was like to share it with your friends? Yeah. So in fourth grade, I started experiencing the typical symptoms of a type one diabetic. So that's over urination and like extreme weight loss. Um, And I thought nothing of it because I did not know what type 1 diabetes was, nor did I know what blood sugar was. And so my parents took me to the doctor. They, I was very reluctant to go. And I took a urine test and it came out that my blood sugar was 450. And when we got those results, there was a very serious look on my parents' face. I was confused why. Once again, I had no clue what that meant. And then they told me that I had to go to the hospital which was a shock to me because I really didn't think it was a big deal. I thought I was going home that day. I thought they were going to give me a pill or something, and then and then it was all done. But that was not the case. So we went into the hospital, and I was there for about three days. And over that three-day period, I started to learn more about the disease. And actually, Cara came in and spoke to me about it, which was Yeah, very we nice. hung out in the hospital. Yeah. You know, I want to back up and just say, you, I remember this, you were in fourth grade and you were getting into a health kick and you were working really hard to get fit right Mm -hmm. as you started losing weight. And so no one thought anything of it because here you were just taking a lot of ownership over your health and wellness, which was Mm -hmm. really an interesting piece of that moment. I don't know if in your memory it factors in, but in my memory that factors in a lot. The other thing is I remember I had already left practice when you went into the office and you had your blood sugar tested, but you had just had a pretty hearty meal of sugar right before yeah, that. Is it, right? I was I was gonna talk about this. This is actually probably probably the one funny part of this uh-huh. story of getting diagnosed was so the day that I was admitted to the hospital, prior to taking that urine test, I was shopping at the mall with my mom and I had um a meal of orange chicken lo mein and a soda and this is a non-diet soda and so any diabetic would know that is like a bomb that is a carb bomb it is very dangerous and especially with no insulin so if i had that meal today without putting in insulin i would i would also go to 450 so yes yes you would and your mom called me from the doctor's office she's like do you think it was the orange chicken definitely was (laughs) but i love orange chicken so it was was a shame so henry talk to us about your fourth grade, so you were like about nine years old, right? And you're yeah. you're just like hanging out, doing your thing. And then all of a sudden, everybody's face gets serious and you're in the hospital for three days and people are talking to you about 
you know, what this disease is. I mean, just the fact that you're a fourth grader being told you have a disease, I would imagine Mm -hmm. was like a pretty shocking experience. Do you remember what was going through your head when you are like receiving all this pretty overwhelming information? Yeah, so I was pretty naive to what type 1 diabetes was and what it entailed. So I think that was a positive. I didn't know like how hard it was going to be to manage this and how much I had to conquer to manage mm-hmm. it at the moment. So I think processing that diagnosis was a lot easier because I was clueless. Yeah. Um, you know, later I came to find out that it, it's a lot of work, but at that moment. Yeah. Talk about what that work. So just so you know, in our episode with Dr. Kelly Fraden, who's giving the adult caregiver and physician perspective on it, we talk about this age, right? You're like Mm -hmm. becoming independent. You're heading into middle school right around the time you get diagnosed with diabetes. So you're like, can kind of do stuff on your own. And yet Mm -hmm. you're given this diagnosis, which you come to learn involves a lot of complicated requirements and changes in your life. Talk about like, what did you have to change? What did you have to do? What made it hard to kind of manage and and deal with? Well, I think at that moment in my life, my parents started to shift their parenting style. They required me to be more independent, rightfully so, because I had to deal with this myself. You know, my mom couldn't come around with me 24 seven. She couldn't come to school with me and whatnot. So at this moment, I actually, I got it a cell phone, which was, I was very excited about because none of my friends had a cell phone. <laughs> there are lots um, of silver linings to this yes, story. Yes, There's a yes, win. There are silver linings. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, my parents put a lot of trust into me. And that, in a way, felt good. Um, but that trust comes with a lot of hard things to do and a lot of phone calls back to my mom during class. So I would say it was it was definitely an interesting transition it was a little early. I think it would have been easier if it was from middle school to high school. Mm-hmm. But like the elementary school to middle school was quite challenging. And one of the things that was hard for me was educating my friends about it. You know, 11 year olds like me, they had no clue what type one diabetes was. And because of this, I was very reluctant to talk about it because, you know, the word diabetes like that, that is used as a joke. If if you guys yeah. know, like, like, cause type two diabetes often is associated with being overweight. And so I didn't want to throw around this word diabetes because everyone was saying like, oh, you just ate too much sugar. Like it's all your fault. So I was very reluctant to tell my friends. Um, I only told my really close ones and they were very supportive of that. So let's talk about how you talk to other kids about it when you first started talking. And then I want to pivot into what did it look like? to manage your blood sugars then versus now? Because the technology is totally shifted. And so I'm sort of curious if the technology of it impacted how you told your friends. You were going in, you were checking finger stick glucoses and you were doing all these things Mm -hmm. during the school day that maybe kids today who are being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes aren't doing as often. Yeah, I think back when I was in fourth grade, it was quite obvious that I had type 1 diabetes or it was extremely obvious. You know, I would, I would go into the corner during class and prick my finger and everyone knew what I was doing after a couple of weeks of having it. But nowadays the technology allows me to see my blood sugar and put an insulin on my phone. So I think that you can be extremely discreet about it if you would like, or you can not be discreet about it. You can talk to people about it. Um, 
Will you explain the technology piece to the listeners who don't understand what has shifted? Yes, yes. So when I was first diagnosed, I had to prick my finger probably four or five times a day. Um, This is periodically breakfast, lunch, dinner, in between during workout periods, and then often in the middle of the night, which is quite frustrating. Mm. And then I would have to give myself injections four or five times a day as well. Um, So this is very time consuming and quite scary as a fourth grader to have, I mean, insulin can be dangerous if it's used, any medication can be dangerous and having to, you know, take an alcohol swab, swab a, a spot on your body and, you know, put a needle in you as a fourth grader. Like a lot of fourth graders don't like when a doctor does that. So, mm-hmm. so it, so it could be quite scary, but now I have two things on my body. I have a glucose monitor, a CGM continuous glucose monitor and an insulin pump. And so that takes away the need to prick my finger and the need to give an injection. So how it works is the CGM, there's a little sensor under my skin and it every five minutes will tell me what my blood sugar is. And the insulin pump has a little tube that injects insulin into me. And as of three years ago, um, there's an app that I use that connects the insulin pump to the continuous glucose monitor. So the continuous glucose monitor will tell my insulin pump, Mm -hmm. okay, his blood sugar is 200. It's time to put in insulin. So it does it on its own, which is very cool and eliminates a lot of unnecessary time spent. Henry, can I just say like, my kids can't even wipe their own asses. Like I can't (laughs) believe that you were able to manage this amount of responsibility and all of the steps that go into that kind of care, it's really incredible. And it completely blows me away that you managed it. And I'm curious if the awareness of being different and the sort of figuring out what do you share and what don't you share and who do you tell and who don't you tell, as you grew and got older and entered a period of time when everyone is feeling kind of weird and awkward and different and changing and navigating, like, how do you feel like you're having diabetes and managing that informed how you dealt with like puberty and adolescence and all the other changes in your life? Yeah, I think it accelerated kind of my thinking of puberty and changes in my life uh, compared to other kids. I think that other kids experienced those changes a little later as far as, you know, different effects of puberty. But i I was more aware of kind of medical stuff and my own body. So like those changes were not as significant for me. Hmm. It was like less of a shock because you were already so in tune with like what was going on in your body. You didn't like turn around one day and be like, oh, I'm done with puberty. You were like, oh, I know what happens in my body almost every minute of every day. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll, we'll talk about this later, but a different diagnosis later on. Like it was way less of a a big deal because I was already dealing with something. Hmm. So before we get there, I want to ask you a few logistical questions. When a kid first gets diagnosed with type one diabetes, when any person first gets diagnosed, they can't even today, they can't very quickly go on to what we call the artificial pancreas. So with a continuous glucose monitor, measuring your blood sugar, and with an insulin pump delivering the insulin, it's basically like your body has an external pancreas doing the job that the pancreas would normally do, right? Mm -hmm. You have to go through this introductory phase of learning the rhythms of your blood sugar, 
There is something called a honeymoon period, which is once you start getting your sugars under control and you're using a certain amount of insulin every day, then suddenly the body kind of goes into this moment of, no, I'm perfect. I don't have diabetes. And your insulin needs drop and then things come back. There's sort of a very classic pattern to, to diabetes. As all of this is going on, as you described, it's very obvious. Even today, it's very obvious for people when they're first diagnosed. I have a very vivid memory of you playing flag football, of you playing basketball, and you would have this sort of, can you describe sort of the monitoring that was happening or the insulin delivery system that was happening? And logistically, how did it work? You're an athlete, you're a multi-sport athlete, but like, tell us about how the physical delivery system impacted your ability to do sports. Yeah. So I think it's all about adaptation. So you you learn how to play tackle football with an insulin pump on. So something there's something called a girdle in tackle football. It, it protects your legs. And I had to put on two of those. And I used, I, I made a elastic band with a little pocket in it that I could put my insulin pump into and put the two girdles over so I could still play football while getting insulin delivery. Because, you know, if my blood sugar goes really high during a game, it affects my performance. So it's all about balancing kind of your needs. And just to be really clear, it's the performance in the short run. And it's also that you don't want high highs and low lows so that you protect your body in the long run. You protect your nerves, you protect your blood vessels, right? So that's the whole goal. Your mom is a good friend of mine. The wearing of the insulin pump during a football game was for parents that are curious about how that felt it did not feel super comfortable to her. And yet I I think she got really comfortable really quickly because she saw how important it was to you to continue to be an athlete. And you did it so elegantly, right? You just mm-hmm. like, you just rolled with it as the technology changed. Another thing she talks to me about a lot is something you referenced earlier, which is sleep. Can you talk about what it's like to be woken up in the middle of the night, almost every night since you were in fourth grade, you're now a freshman in college, and not get a full night's sleep and what that feels like and what you have to do in the middle of the night sometimes. Yeah. So it's probably the most frustrating aspect of my life because, you know, you're having a good sleep and all of a sudden you wake up to this alarm. My body at this point have actually become to recognize when I'm low. So I'll wake up before this alarm, but then, you know, you have to consume sugar and sugar, it's similar to caffeine. It wires your brain. So sometimes it makes it hard to go back to bed. So then you're just sitting in bed thinking about the day that is coming up like, oh, wow, I have a, I have a lot to do today. And this is affecting my performance because I'm not going to be able to get enough sleep. Right. And then there's the fact that your mom has the app on her phone, right? And so do you want to describe when your mom gets the alarm? And you're at boarding school, by the way. Let me just paint the picture. You've now, in high school, you've gone to boarding school. Um, This started when you were younger, but once you left the house, she was watching your blood sugars overnight and you would get an alarm to wake up and she would get an alarm several hundred miles away for you to wake up. So you want to talk through that and how that went? Yeah, so a lot of times especially when I was younger, I would get frustrated with my mom because she would often text me about my blood sugar. But, you know, as I'm older, I come to realize it's just because she loves me and she's trying to look out for me. But having your blood sugar alarm go off and then your phone go off can be quite frustrating in the middle of the night. And so for three years of my boarding school experience, I didn't have a roommate because of this, because I didn't want to bother a roommate. But when I was a senior in high school, I realized that like 
I have close enough friends that aren't going to care and aren't going to get mad and can actually help wake me up if I don't wake up. So I had a roommate senior year and it was it was quite helpful, actually. There, there was times where he was like, are you OK? And, and it wasn't an issue for his sleep. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how um socks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myoomla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. 
Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal, and even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Henry, part of being an adolescent is like navigating your parents and dealing with your parents' stuff versus your stuff and advocating for what you want versus managing their their worries or their preferences. So Kara used the example of like football, you've got the alarm situation. I'm sure there's a million other times when your parents were trying to do the best they could for you. Mm-hmm. And they were also like totally pissing you off. And you were like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I know what's best for me or yeah. what I want. Can you walk us through what you learned in terms of like negotiations and self-advocacy in dealing with your diagnosis and also like dealing with your parents or teachers or coaches? Like what are some Mm -hmm. of the lessons that you drew from that experience? So I think when I was younger, when I was in fourth grade, I got a lot more frustrated with my parents because I didn't understand that this was my life and the effects of not managing this would be put on me. But as I got older, I started to become more independent and actually want to manage my glucose well so I could live a long, happy life. I give a lot of credit to my parents because they let me hit the ground running when I got diagnosed. It didn't let me, it didn't stop me from doing a lot of things. Uh, A lot of diabetics will take, you know, take a break and not play sports or not go to boarding school. I was the first diabetic at my boarding school. And we actually have three now. I I talked to all of them and convinced them to come. Wow. And so they really just let me go and do what I wanted. And so I think that it's definitely not fair for me to get mad at them when they are looking out for me. And it still happens today. So And I I'll I'll give you that, you know, you know this in the background, but the background is they were able to let you do what you wanted because of two things. One is you were a really good communicator with them. And the second was there is technology. They actually could see how you were doing and they could follow your blood sugars. And there's some, I think that just the existence of the technology that's evolved in the last 10 years has shifted. I'm not sure if the way things were when you were in fourth grade were still the way now that they would have been quite as comfortable. I still think you would have done a very good job convincing them because I know you and you're a good yeah. convincer. <laughs> so let's let's set the stage now, right? You're now at boarding school. You've got this diabetes thing under control. You're doing great. You're thriving. Just when you feel like you've got it all sorted out, what happens? 
so I get an epilepsy diagnosis. And this was surprising to me because I have had seizures before, but we always thought, so I've had a total of three seizures, right? And all of them we thought were blood sugar related mm-hmm. because my blood sugar was on, was relatively on the low side every time they happened. And diabetics who have low blood sugars seize, they can seize. That is like a normal thing. People who don't have epilepsies can have seizures if they have a low blood sugar. But I went in and did a brain scan and found out that I had epilepsy. And at this point in my life, this is more of a frustrating diagnosis than type one diabetes, Mm. because I think that I was used to having diabetes. And I was like, okay, I I got my one illness, you know, everyone else is going to get theirs, but I got mine now and I've, I've conquered it. But then this came in, which was quite frustrating. But I find that there's a lot of similarities between the two, you know, the discipline that I learned and acquired through managing my diabetes really helped me manage my epilepsy. That being said, there are some some negative points to having both of them as far as health-wise. So like we were talking about before, getting woken up in the middle of the night from a blood sugar alarm can be frustrating and you have to have sugar and go to bed, but it, it keeps you up for a little bit. And now we have this epilepsy, right? And a, a trigger for seizures is not enough sleep. Mm. So now I have to sit there and think about, okay, not only do I have to take this sugar, but I also have to successfully get back to sleep. And a lot of times push back classes or other things if it's really bad. So there's some double whammies for having both of them, but I've I've learned to manage that. And my epilepsy, I take a medication twice a day and that's it. That's all I have to do for it. But you know, there's certain things that can cause seizures, which I which I try to avoid. So you're at boarding school, you get the diagnosis. Are you like, oh, come on, man. Like, really? Like, seriously, you're going to, you're going to layer this, like, talk us through the, the reaction. Cause sometimes teenagers are not the most expressive and parents wish they knew what was going on inside their kid's head, but they can't always access that. So mm-hmm. for people listening, can you give us your inner monologue when you get this second diagnosis? Yeah. So I thought about all the activities that I like to do that would be affected by my epilepsy. And I thought about how I can convince my body and convince my parents to let me do them. Like what? Like going spearfishing or going surfing or like doing relatively risky things where I not only have to worry about my blood sugar, but I have to worry about having a seizure during it. Right. So like I I can't go swimming by myself. That's a terrible idea. I can't do a lot of things by myself. And that was definitely frustrating to me because I'm a pretty independent person, but I've gotten used to usually having someone around me that can help me if I have an issue. People listening also, I don't encourage anyone to go swimming by themselves. So I know it sucks, Henry, but like (laughs) also that's a fairly good lesson. You talked earlier about adaptations and modifications. What process did you go through to be like, okay, I can't do this version of what I like to do, but I can do that version? Like, do you feel like you learned a kind of flexibility about adjusting your, what you love to do and also managing your diagnoses? Yes. And I think that, you know, like I was saying, like the control of diabetes and epilepsy are very similar. So I think that I learned more of that skill when I got diagnosed with diabetes. So I didn't have to do that as much, you know? the activities that I had to worry about, um, the effects that they had on my body were the same for diabetes. So I kind of knew how to adapt to those certain activities. 
and I'm not going to ask this as a question. I'm just going to make it a statement. So you're welcome to chime in, but you may not want to. Car's going to tell you about you, Henry. No, Are you ready? No, no, no. What <laughs> I'm going to say is going to parties in high school and college it is one of these, like we're kind of talking around it, but I was going to ask, but I'm glad that you're talking about it. Right, like I'm just going to make this, that's why I'm not going to ask the question. I'm just going to make the statement that, you know, beer has is all carb and carb is the problem with diabetes and alcohol in general, not to mention other substances can interact with the epilepsy medicines. Like Mm -hmm. the damper that having any chronic diagnosis, chronic illness diagnosis has on social life. I mean, listen, as a parent, it's like, Woohoo, you can't drink, you can't use drugs. Exactly. Right. But the reality is quite different from that. And I would love to hear if you're comfortable talking about how it's impacted your social experience, because I do think kids can have a pretty social experience without necessarily putting themselves at physical risk. Yeah. So I think it's all about educating your friends because when you do that, they won't make you feel uncomfortable. They won't pressure you to do certain things. And they'll even, you know, without even telling you, try to make smarter decisions like, oh, hey, maybe let's not stay up till three in the morning. Or maybe let's not, I mean, my friends don't do this, but maybe let's not do that drug or something like that because they're looking out for you. So I think it's all about educating the people around you, specifically your friends. And I would imagine there's room for error too. I mean, I'm sure you are so pulled together, but you're human. And I'm sure you've been in situations where you've been presented with opportunities that you go, mm, this probably isn't the smartest thing for me to do, but I'm a kid and I I just want to be independent. And and that's really understandable too, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that you're so pulled together and so educated about all of this is incredibly helpful, but you do have a a 19-year-old brain and not a 40-year-old brain. And so the way you make decisions will occasionally look a little bit different from someone who is 20 years older than you. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important for you to surround yourself with good people. Because if you're surrounded by good friends, then even if you want to do something, even Mm -hmm. if you're like, oh yeah, let's go have all these beers, they're looking out for you and they're saying, no, Henry, that's not a good idea. Let's not do that. That's right. Yeah. I want to take you back to what you said about when you were first diagnosed with diabetes in fourth grade and who you chose to tell, right? You told your closest friends, you didn't tell other people. You're now 10 years older and you're away from home and there's many, many other sort of temptations and things that could be an issue. How do you manage that communication now, Henry? Has it changed? Do you make the same choices that you did then? So I guess I had, growing up as a young kid with diabetes was tough. Like I was saying, no one knows what it is. And in some instances, you know, it could lead to, I don't want to say bullying, but like people like, you know, you're worried that someone's going to make fun of you because you have diabetes. And there's a little bit of a, you know, a trauma aspect of that that sticks with you, right? So I would say that currently I'm still not comfortable telling everyone in the world. I like keeping it to my close friends just because I, you know, I, I still have that notion in my mind since I was a little kid that it's, it's a bad thing. Mm. Another part of me, I'm a pretty competitive guy. And so the way that helps me manage my diabetes is making it a competition, right? And I think that 
if I can successfully manage my diabetes without making it a huge issue or without it changing my life much, which involves not talking about it a lot, then I win, right? So that's that's a big goal of mine. So I'll tell all my friends, but I don't need to make it known to everyone in class that, oh, I have diabetes. And, you know, some people make their challenges their personality. And I think that's great. And I just, I'm not one of those people. I like to live as normal life as possible. And I don't want to say hide it, but keep it from coming out in a way that it affects my life a lot, because I don't think it does. I think at right. this point, I've learned to live a normal life. It doesn't define, ne- neither of these things defines mm-hmm. you at all. And and if someone met you on the street and had never met you before, you know, there's no tell in who you are that these things are happening inside. And sometimes, sometimes that makes it easier and sometimes mm-hmm. it makes it harder, right? Sometimes when someone's medical challenge is obvious to the whole world, people are more sensitive in certain ways, right? So there's that, there are two sides of that coin. Um, but you you really have never let it define you, which is remarkable, frankly. Henry, so all the adults are wondering because all of them have kids who have faced some challenge or going to face some challenge and feel super worried about, can their kid handle it? How will their kid handle it? Is there a silver lining? And you have beautifully managed some major challenges and have learned to thrive through all of it. What is it about managing your illnesses that has made you a stronger, more confident, more competent, more able person, you know, to someone who can compete in every facet? What have you learned from these experiences that have allowed you to do that? I think there are two main things. I think there's structure. Having structure in your life is very important. And, you know, having diabetes makes you have some pretty impressive structure in your life because you have to do certain things every day. Along with epilepsy, you know, I can't go to bed that late and I have to get a lot of sleep. And so I think that the structure in your life really helps you structure other aspects of your life, including school and sports and whatnot. And then I think that Diabetes has caused me to be a way more disciplined person because you realize that you can't beat it. And so you have to do it. It's a little bit of a different kind of discipline, right? Because there's discipline where it's like, oh, no, I'm going to stay in the gym and and do one more workout. Then there's discipline where it's like, oh, no, like I have to do this. So so it it kind of rolls over, though. So schoolwork, I'm thinking I have to do this or sports i have to do this i've i've conquered more issues bigger issues like diabetes so why should i let this stop me have you been able to find role models in your life who can serve as either inspiration or actually sources of information or are you just becoming the role model for the kids that are coming up behind you like the kids who you described who are going to boarding school with diabetes I think that I have certain role models in my life, like my parents and my siblings. I don't know many role models that have diabetes, but that's just because I haven't met a lot of them. I got to speak with Jay Cutler, who's a football player, which was very, which was very entertaining, um, especially because at that time I was playing football. Um, so he's definitely a role model in the athletics world. But I think that Matthew McConaughey has a saying that my role model is me in 10 years, you know, like you want to, you want to be who you're going to become. I know that's deep, but you always got to, you always got to go to McConaughey for the wisdom. He's dropping wisdom bombs everywhere. Exactly. (laughs) 
But that's amazing. I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of parents listening to this episode who are dealing with their own kids' issues. And to know that you have come out of it the other side with a lot of self-reliance and self-confidence and optimism, I think is very booing for other people. And hearing that like kids can do this, like kids are really, really capable and able. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't believe what you did as a fourth grader. That is astounding. (laughs) It's incredible. And for anyone who gets diagnosed with something like that, it gets a lot easier. And I know everyone will say that, but I think for two main reasons, I think that one, you will get better at it with anything, you know, practice, you get better, but two, technology, you know, I've been alive for 19 years and since I was 11, I've had diabetes. And in that time span, the technology has caused my diabetic management to change drastically. And I think that can go for a lot of different diseases. So those two will help you a lot and it'll make it get easier. I want to go full circle back to when you were in fourth grade and wrap up with a visual for the people who are listening to this. When I was teaching the puberty class at school and you came up to me and said, can I explain what diabetes is? You had, you probably were diagnosed, I don't know, two or three months earlier and you had not really disclosed to a lot of people, but as you described, all the kids knew what was happening, right? You're in the corner mm-hmm. checking your blood sugar. And so I think there was a moment of you just wanting to, to level set with everyone. And yeah. um, I don't know if you remember, but I remember very well that you just gave a two sentence explanation of what diabetes was and why you had to take insulin. And the way you delivered that message, Henry, and it's kind of funny that it was almost 10 years ago, you were the person 10 years ago that you are now, right? You were exactly (laughs) what you were describing because you did it with no judgment. You did it with no shame. You just told the kids in your class what was going on. And then you just moved on. And I think you, without knowing it, you very quickly became a role model for lots of other kids in that classroom. And I hope that any parent who's listening to this, who has a kid who is managing an ongoing medical issue will draw some inspiration from you and what you did, which is when you're ready and only when you're ready and only when it works for you, that you find a way to describe the facts of the situation to your peer group so that they can move beyond it. And then just, you just get to be a kid and you've done such a beautiful job of that. So it it has been a joy to watch you. And I'm so grateful that you came on to talk about the experience. Uh, I cannot wait to see where you are in 10 years. (laughs) Don't forget about me. I won't. I mean, you've been a huge help in my, my diabetic career. There's been times where (laughs) Where there's been times where I've called Cara and asked her questions, or at least my mom has. So it's helpful to have someone like you. Well, my, now there are times corner. where I call you to ask yeah. you questions. Like, can you <laughs> yes. come on this podcast? So yes, see yes. How, how the tides turn there. Mm-hmm. 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 Henry, so much admiration for you. And I, I know that there will be so many adults listening to this and hopefully kids too. Did I swear on this episode? I hope I didn't swear on this episode. I'm sure there are lots of kids who are going to listen and recognize that they can handle whatever setbacks they face because you are providing such a beautiful role model. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for talking so openly. 
mm-hmm. and vulnerably and honestly about your journey. And so many people will benefit from that. So thank you. I'm glad, of course. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.